Welcome to Composers in a Jukebox, a podcast that brings together a special breed of musicians in the conversation about their craft. Today we're chatting with Alistair Curley, a composer known for his work on video games such as Horizon, Call of the Mountain, Beyond the Steel Sky and Corruption 2099. And Miasma. That's the recent one. That's the, that's the new one that's just come oh, out. Oh, Miasma! Miasma Chronicles. Awesome! Is it on Steam yet? Yes, it's all out. It's all out. It's, uh, it, we released um, a couple of months ago uh, with the Bearded Ladies, and all went well. People seem to like it, which is good. Um, we need to work out when we can get the soundtrack out, though. Uh. Oh yeah! Oh, that'll yes, be fun. That'll yeah. be very. Yeah, fun. let us know. I mean, we we absolutely love your music, and, oh, and that's why you're with us. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, like we've literally been indulging in it uh, for the past hour or so as well. Good. Like, just <laughs> oh, great. I, I thought I saw my views going, my listens going up on uh, <laughs> <laughs> royalties going up as well. <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't get any of that stuff. That's all owned by Sony and Gorilla. Oh, right. oh, <laughs> all right. Shall we start with some? questions uh yes absolutely all right i'll go first so ali could you give us a rundown what the process of composing for video game is like good question i guess i I can only really explain it by relating it to like i guess other like media writing like uh um jobs so like film scoring and tv and 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 things like that um i think it was it that said that um there is no such thing as like a a tv composer or a video game composer or a, a film composer we're just composers at the end of the day. It's all about sort of just writing music. So that's always the thing for me that is like the most important of all the things in, in things is the music. The music has to come first for me. So uh, musically, there's a lot more considerations perhaps with video games than there might be for um, sort of linear um, um, media. So film and TV have are, are, are totally linear, linear. And whilst I think a lot of film and TV composers might uh, uh, say that what they're aiming at in terms of like a locked edit is a bit of a moving target, um, in games is literally a moving target. There, there is no, there is no timeline. Um, so we have to, uh, the music has to behave, um, which which adds a whole new dimension to the way that we have to compose music, uh, the interactivity of the music. Um, um, yeah, so the, the ask of the music is is somewhat different. It's not something that can be guaranteed every time. Uh, I mean, we do, we do, of course, have cutscenes and cinematics and linear sequences that happen within video games. So we often do call upon that. Um, uh, I say we. I mean, I do. Uh, like that that linear scoring to picture kind of uh, skill set that I, I I have from you know writing film music and, and and things like that. So it's. Um, yeah, it, it's different in a, in a lot of ways, but it's um, it, it, at, the, at the end of the day, it is still writing music. Um, and I guess um, we'll often have a lot of support in our roles as composers from um, uh, the audio team, the larger audio team. So we have audio directors. Um, the music has to kind of um, coexist with a lot of sound effects and uh, dialogue and things like that. That all are, on, you know, they have the same um, restrictions. They have, the, they, it all has to still be interactive, dynamic. They all, it all has to be behaviour that's programmed in. So working very closely with the audio team is a big part of um, of being a composer for for video games. Um, what do you write to? Do you? Because like with scoring for films and stuff, we're writing to pictures and we're, we're you know matching reactions and dialogue and cuts and stuff. But with games, do you just write music and send it into the ether, or 
do you have reference materials? It's a long process, and and I guess the answer is there there isn't there isn't a single like uh, methodology that we adopt for this sort of stuff. I mean, you can get yourself into trouble if you start writing too closely to like game captures because you start to like um, impose behavior on the music or impose like synchronicity that may not be possible when it comes to actually implementing stuff. So when you're when you're uh, considering if you if you watch a gameplay sequence and you're like, oh, I want, there's this really cool thing that happens here. I want to like a big lead up into that. Well, how how does that how is that going to work? How are you going to know that that thing is going to happen so that you can you know put it in the behavior or the or the hooks in in the engine to know whether that's going to happen? Um, so yeah, what do we write to? I mean, for, for cinematics, it's literally the same as film. We'll get captures. Um, often they are uh, very early renders because it's all obviously animated. Um, and so we'll get timing references. We'll often get storyboards to to work to, and then we'll we'll work through those. Um, through those uh, uh, in the same way that you, you would work through a film and, and then follow the, the process as, as it kind of um, moves forwards and, and things get closer to, to a final edit and a lock. Um, and then other times I might work to a piece of concept art. So maybe if there's an environment that needs a piece of music, then I'll, I'll, I'll gather a piece, uh, some pieces of concept artwork. Um, either I'll stitch it together into a video or just, I'll just work to it. Um, and that, that, means I've got some kind of visual reference or representation whilst I'm working um, just to, just to give me some inspiration. Cause there's, cause there, there, it's really hard um, to write to nothing, you know, when there's uh, if you're, if you're just like having to just use imagination purely, it's, that's quite a tr- challenging thing. And also quite a risky thing as well, because uh, things do change a lot. And, and if, if you are, taking sort of uh, intellectual leaps to get to certain points uh, within your own writing, um, you can often find yourself in the wrong way around. Maybe you're writing music for yourself instead of writing music that needs to, you know, ultimately feed a bigger mix, feed a bigger story, feed, feed a bigger product. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's that, typically yeah. I'll work. I'll sometimes work to picture. Sometimes I work to concept artwork. Sometimes I work um, uh, to maybe there's there's dialogue or sound effects or there's an ambience that I need to work to. Um, all sorts of things. It's very case dependent, and every game is different as well. Um, not every game has cutscenes. Not every game has uh, big open world exploration things. You're not, you know, uh, not every game has combat. So th- there's all sorts of things to consider when you're um, when you're composing uh, to to something. And, and there's also reuse to consider as well. Sorry, I'm kind of going on here, but like a piece of music will have to be repurposed across multiple uh, areas of a game. Typically, um, it's not a case like in film where you go and you write your opening and then you're not going to hear the opening again. At another point in the film, uh, because you, or you'd, you'd hear a variation of that. Whereas for, for, for uh, we have such long play times and, or, and such unquantifiable kind of metrics when it comes to you know uh, the timelines uh, that, that people experience in, the, in their games that we need to be able to repurpose things. So you need something that's going to work. Yeah. All right. Um, we actually talked to a bunch of uh, video game composers before, and one thing that's interesting is there are um, varying degrees of um, involvement of the composer in the implementation of the music. So my question is, how involved are you and uh, what's like the relevant software and technology that's being used there? Uh, again, it, it depends on the project wildly. Sometimes I am just writing music um, and then uh, delivering things. Um, if there's another music supervisor involved, perhaps that's 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 the, the, the method there. But um, generally I like to be involved um, Reasonably closely, um, I think if the person who's writing the music um, uh, has an input in in what 
it sounds like when it's in game obviously we, we make specific decisions for specific reasons and those are often best represented by us when we're you know if we I'll, I'll often sit down with the audio director or the person who's uh, maybe it's a music designer or whatever it might be and, and say oh no this really does need to be a second earlier if, if we can because there's this thing that happens here and it's you know um so i, I like to try and um, be as involved as i possibly can be um with the implementation process um in terms of technology um everything really i mean we we used elias um which is a, a sort of a highly interactive music system um which um uh, we use that on the on the, the projects with the bearded ladies. We use Wise. We use FMOD. We use um, just you know sometimes we don't have middleware to use. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it really it really varies from project to project. But uh, yeah, we have to we have to kind of adapt to whatever the project's uh, needs are and uh, uh, yeah, just uh, roll with it. <laughs> I have kind of a straightforward question for you, but I think it's important because these types of scores influence you. Uh, what's your favorite game soundtrack of all time or a game soundtrack that really inspired you to have an interest in this? Hmm. Uh, well, the favorite soundtrack, I mean, at the moment, it's the uh, it's the Jedi series, uh, Jedi Fallen Order oh. and Jedi Survivor. They are uh, absolutely it's a good stunning. One. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how they did that. How 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 did they do that? I just, I just don't know. It's it's absolutely unbelievable that that the the level of music there, and it's a, it's really interesting from a from a uh, a perspective of of you know implementation things like that because uh, Fallen Order it's just a it's one file it's a seven one file that they that they you know there's no stems there's no it's it's a symphonic piece of music that is written and then the music designers have taken that and made a highly interactive and and seamless like music system out of it which I think is absolutely you know it's a real marvel I think they they went a bit deeper than that for Survivor um, but yeah those are those are certainly my uh, you know, at the moment, you know, uh, my favourites. Um, I mean, in terms of inspiration, I mean, I, I was, highly, uh, you know, I, I played games from a very young age, and I think the first time I really kind of noticed um, game music being kind of on that same level as film music or, or people who are getting there was was it's a franchise called the Guild Wars franchise, and that that really inspired me as well. Jeremy Saul, um, uh, you know, just just hearing that uh, games could have this breadth of music and uh, the the you know, otherwise was kind of reserved for film and TV, certainly at that point. Um, um, and then, and then moving forward, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn was a, was a, was a big one as well. I remember buying the soundtrack to that and just thinking, Oh my God, this is, this is insane. Um, so yeah, I, there's, there's a few, there's a few there. Um, and you know, there's a huge variance of, you know, variety of, uh, inspirations across a, a lot of the different projects that I work on. So there's, uh, my favorites kind of, um, and inspirations kind of vary veer wildly from, from one, uh, one project, uh, to another, but, uh, yeah, those ones, those ones had a sort of, I think a sort of a particularly profound effect on me. Yeah. Yeah. Ab absolutely. One thing I think is really interesting in, uh, video game composition, a lot of game scores is that, certain scores can actually be kind of more boundary pushing than film scores in a certain sense. Like in terms of really dense orchestral music, those uh, Jedi Fallen Order soundtracks are some of the densest, most layered orchestral music you can find for media really. And some of the production in the Horizon scores is really kind of out there compared to a lot of stuff you'd even see in film, um, which is pretty, pretty cool. Mm, yeah oh no completely um i mean just quantity is, is is another thing you know it's like you know a film has maybe hour two hours max in a long film of music whereas games will have six to 12 hours of music in them it's it's like the, the, just the sheer quantity that you need to deliver for this sort of thing which is it's insane um and so yeah yeah i mean that those scores are are every bit as 
demanding and challenging from a production perspective as as uh, if not more so than i think than than, than film film work a lot of the time um uh with a with with just so much you know the, the production cycles are longer the technology in, involved is longer uh the teams are uh, often bigger on this sort of stuff you know if you've got a full orchestra but you also need you know a full team of implementation staff you need all the stuff that you need for uh for the music side of things as well so that's the you know orchestration that's the comp- compositional team there's you know there's, there's massive massive teams of people involved in 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 these games you know you look at you look at god of war and and, and you know the wider audio experience as well. Um, you can't just have one audio designer on a film or on, on, a, on a game, whereas you, you probably could get away with that on a film, uh, depending on the timelines. Obviously, I think a lot of larger films probably um, do uh, have have bigger teams, but often, you know, certainly with indie films, it's 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 remarkable to find ones that don't have you know more than a couple of people involved in the audio, like full stop. Whereas you know, we look at big AAA games, there's like seventy plus people involved in the in the in the audio side of things, and then the the, the music teams are, are are pretty pretty huge as well. So yeah, they're really pushing. Yeah. yeah, games are really pushing the boundaries. That is so cool. I'm like I'm really I'm really seeing like the evolution of video game music going on and on and on and it's getting better nowadays um actually uh, a question about this is like how is writing music for games different from writing for films since you kind mm. of do both could you kind mm. of tell us about it um yeah i mean i i think it's um Obviously, obviously, the, the the interactivity and the, the behavior is a big part of like um, just like the the, the decision making and like the spotting process that kind of that that changes. Like film is, um, it, it feels simple. It's not simple, but it feels simpler because you can get a very like you can synchronize things very very easily and you can craft a moment to be absolutely perfect however doing that in an interactive environment is much more challenging and you have to break things down a lot more and you get you know lots of um you know uh behavior you have to design to to get that kind of stuff to to feel as good as you could do with film i think um um th- there's yeah there's obviously there's quantity questions as well um yes. th- uh you know like i was saying earlier it's like with film it, you know uh yeah, there's, there's, there's a. It's just different. I, yeah, I, I don't know if I could, I could say it's like the, 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 the actual difference of writing music to, to video games. Um, I mean, it's still, still music at the end of the day. So it's, it's important that the exactly. music still tells the story, and, and the, the, the purpose of the music is kind of like almost the same. It's still an emotional tool. It's still a narrative tool. It's still a, uh, still needs to grease the wheels of the story and um, and provide that kind of um, emotional and tonal support for the for the for the experience. Uh, so that, that there's not too much difference in terms of like the definition from that perspective. I think it is in the technicalities um, and the and the breadth of coverage you need from from a game soundtrack and and from um, you know the the, the the music design in a, in a game versus a film. I think yeah. Yeah. Why don't we? Um, dig a bit deeper into Call of the Mountain now. Yay! Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Such a good score. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah I agree. Let's, let's talk about the instrumentation first. It's, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not too big, but yet the final result sounds absolutely massive. So how do you accomplish that? Oh, what's my secret? How do I do it? Oh, good question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, so the, you're right. The, the ensemble size was smaller. Um, it's not a symphony orchestra. That again, it's like that. That's it's a different instrument, you know. Um, so it's it's about getting as much scale out of a smaller section as possible. Um, we did uh, six a six piece ensemble um, in Manchester. So we did we, that was our main kind of string ensemble uh, section, which was two violins, a viola, two celli, and a double bass, uh, contrabass. Um, and then we we organised that so that we did two. Uh, a lot of the cues had the potential to have two passes on them, so we could. Because um, I'm greedy, I like to have as many voices as I need to do. And you know, uh, if I want to do a short strings uh, pass, we could do that as well. And do you know, separate off like wispy harmonics and all that, those sorts of things from the. Um, uh, you know, so having an extra pass really helped with like adding scale. And and it, I think an important note when it comes to overdubbing. Um, or, or doing second passes is you're not not just doubling the the same music so uh, not just recording the same thing again to like give the impression of more players and bigger scale that's not really that's not really um how we went about like get, getting that scale it was much more about like adding adding content adding adding breadth adding vertical scale to the arrangements uh that helps give it that kind of like yeah um you know really uh making use of the testature and the instruments as well uh, which, which was a, which was a big part of like like as I say getting the scale out of it, and then yeah um sort of uh, on top of that we had a, another cello solo session uh, that we did and Paul um uh, who's a phenomenal cello player came um, and we recorded him in in Leeds um uh on top of the the ensemble as well so you know the cello is one of these uh, phenomenal instruments that just has such a colossal range of 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 what well, range full stop and then also range of like textures and and colors and uh tonality that you can you can achieve from it um so you know having you know when you add up all the cellos compared to the other, other instruments you have you know obviously th sort of three times as many uh you know cellos as you do your first violin uh so you know you're really use, using that instrument to its like uh potential in writing very very high subtones and you know having great players helps being able to like really nail that sort of stuff um and then uh, again yeah a sort of production was it was a big part of it as well um you know, uh, I, Frankie, uh, my co-composer and, and his sort of main collaborator, uh, is uh, is a phenomenal mix engineer, and so uh, he was able to really inflate uh, the, the the scale of the the sort of sound that we were able to achieve and the kind of width, especially within within a stereo image as well. I mean, um, that was one of the things with with this game because it's um, it's uh, VR, virtual reality. It was. Um, just a stereo delivery, uh, stereo delivery. Uh, so um, we didn't have the luxury of like, you know, LFEs and center channels and, and and surrounds and things like that to kind of take advantage of it, you know, and get extra scale out of it. It all has to exist in this kind of stereo um, image and, and binaural as well. So it's not just a, it's, you know, VR is not designed to be played on speakers. It's designed to be played with headphones. So it's, it's understanding the difference between a binaural, you know, endpoint and a stereo, um, endpoint with you know with with a stereo set of speakers was quite an important thing to, for us to sort of consider when we're when we're mixing and um and delivering and, and sort of just designing the, the, the sound of the music as well um and then yeah um so that's the strings i mean uh flutes we you know work with a, a couple of amazing flautists uh and then yeah you know really exploring the range of the instruments so like yeah contrabass all the way to, uh, through bass flute alto flute all the way up, and then you know, Andy had um, Andy Finden had an amazing set of um, um, headstocks that we could uh, play with again to change the color of the flutes. So like uh, bamboo headstocks would give it a much more kind of like um, maybe 
um, a sort of woody, woody sound and breathy sound as opposed to um, uh, maybe Gareth uh, with his bass flute who had a, a very wide bore, which was again breathy, but it was a, um, a sort of deeper, richer kind of uh, texture that we, we were able to explore with that. Um, and then, yeah, uh, the, the, it's kind of, I guess, the layers of production behind that as well. Percussion was a massive part of it. And percussion is something that was like, um, it's a huge part of the Horizon sort of franchise sound. Um, but uh, really diving into Japanese percussion um, and African percussion to, you know, find the 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 breadth of sound that we wanted from that. So that it, needed, it needed to be close and tight, but also have... Uh, you know, depth and, and scale to it. So that was a really important thing for us to kind of like, I guess, work out was like, it's not, it's not like 30 Tycos in Abbey Road. That's not the right sound for us. It's, it's, a, it's a small, tight, you know, uh, set of instruments that you can pick out and you can hear them in, in the, the spectrum. And maybe there is a couple of, maybe there is, it is quite dense in the sound of the custom, but you can hear the instru individual instruments and hear the, almost the sticks on the skin, on the skins, quite an important part for us. Uh, is not losing the detail in the percussion, but then there's, you know, layering up reverbs and, and kind of putting them in a space uh, that was then cohesive with the rest of the, the arrangement as well. And then, you know, uh, the, the, the thing that kind of, I guess, a lot of people maybe, maybe would overlook with, with Horizon um, sort of sound is, is the synthetic side of things and the, and the, um, and the, the synths and the sound and the musical sound design side of things, which, um, you know, Yoris um, and Alexa and, and the flight do so, so amazingly well. Um, uh, but they do it in such a way that blends so naturally with with the the, the organic instrumentation. So yeah, trying to find uh, a way of like yeah, reinforcing but blending you know all of the synthetic sounds um, uh, with with the organic instrumentation was was again a big part in kind of trying to achieve that as you say that larger than life kind of sound. Um, a very unrealistic sound, I uh, will say. You know, <laughs> you know, hearing a hearing a bass flute on top of all of that stuff. You know, in a in a real world setting, it's probably not that realistic. But you know, that's one of the things you can do with with this kind of stuff is you can you can have the quietest things sing over the the loudest, like thunderous percussion. is one in a legacy of uh, of games yep. uh, in the Horizon series. And with writing a sequel like that, um, how much research did you do, uh, you know, in, into the music of, of the previous installments of Horizon and how much uh, did you reference in your mm. score? Um, a lot is the answer to that. Yeah, I did a lot. <laughs> I had to... Um... Had to be very respectful, you know. That was an absolute, like, uh, essential part of it. Was was I had to 
you know, respect the heritage of, of the franchise. Um, and that was really, really important. And that was something that we decided on very, very early on. And, um, yeah, it's one of the most challenging things was, was kind of looking a bit deeper than like you say, the surface level elements of the horizon stuff and like really trying to get, uh, uh, a sense for what the music was from a lang like a musical language perspective as much as like just the sounds because you could you could copy the sounds but it can still not be horizon um so it was it was a, a lot of that sort of stuff and you know i um looked through all of the previous uh work from the, from from zero dawn and then because we were working on this project for quite a long time quite a long time before forbidden west came out so um and and uh, forbidden west had a slightly different music system you know gorilla uh developed a whole new um, implementation uh, middleware to go with their then uh, with the decimal engine for the for Forbidden West which allowed for way more flexibility and um yeah the, the music system for, for Forbidden West was was you know insane uh and um so yeah but a lot a lot of research um so yeah it, and our game was a, was a spin-off as well so understanding where the differences were as well so we um, I mean Aloy is in our game but she's not the protagonist you don't play as her um so um, coming up, knowing that we needed a new theme for a new character um, and knowing the differences between Aloy, who is this kind of superhero heroine, you know, um, superhuman heroine, um, quite literally, uh, who, uh, who, you know, fights in this amazing kind of you know way and she has this whole uh, sort of like uh, transcendent narrative. Well, that's great. But then for our game, we, we deal with Reyes and his story uh, through um, through the stuff. And he doesn't have a focus. He doesn't have uh, any of these, uh, uh, this insight that Aloy has. Uh, he's just a, a sort of shadow card warrior on his on sort of redemption, redemption arc. Um, uh, so it's much more personal, I guess, in, in that respect. But we could maybe, uh, we had to um, take things back down to, well, what is the, what is the language of the narrative in Horizon, uh, and kind of build that back up, uh, knowing where, which bits we could maybe pull, but, but everything had to be, you know, absolutely respectful. Um, there are very few places where, I mean, maybe there's a, a few cues where you think, oh, that's, that's a little bit something that I haven't maybe heard, uh, in the previous ones. And, and at the end of the day, I'm a different person to the, the composers who wrote that score. So I'm going to write different music, you know, and I spoke to Yoris and I spoke to Niels and, 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 and Joan and Alexis, um, you know, before starting and like, I, you know, got the, got a bit of an insight into like what they were thinking about, you know, when they were designing the percussion palette or, uh, thinking about certain like ways they would represent this tribe or this tribe, or, you know, maybe the Nora have this kind of sound and then the, the card, you know, it, you know, have it have yet again, like this, this other, um, thing because of this and you know, all of those kind of conversations. So uh, yeah, a lot of research, a lot of listening, a lot of digesting, a lot of uh, getting it wrong. Uh, and then, uh, you know, finding, you know, finding a way into that kind of world. Beyond the Steel Sky is is the successor to a game that came out over 20 years ago, and we just kind of want to ask you generally, what's it? What was that process like of trying to reimagine a score where the technology for the original game was so different, and the score technology is so different into a modern orchestral score? Mm. Um, ignore it uh, was kind of the. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> well, well, yeah. There, there are some things that stay uh, relevant. Um, there are a few themes, there are a few things that kind of stuck around, but it really is a completely different game. Um, there is, uh, whilst the uh, setting might be similar, uh, literally everything else about it is the same. It is, it's different. Sorry, it's, it's, a, it's an adventure game, um, but now we're in a you know, 3D environment. Uh, it's got a very distinct art style. Dave Gibbons did the art style for it, which is uh, you know, phenomenal. Um, uh, so when considering like, you know, the, the first game, there were considerations, but uh, yeah, largely it was, yeah, we need to, we need to get this up, up to, you know, a, a, 21st century sounding score you know i wasn't even born but it was, this is 1993 uh, that the first game came out so it was it was well before i was uh, even you know knocking around so uh, um yeah i wouldn't even know where to start if i was trying to recreate that sound so uh <laughs> you know, and, and you know we, we went through a few different iterations of like okay well maybe it's more of a synthetic sound um, for this but uh, ultimately we landed on the orchestra being the thing that was like it just gave us the most tonal flexibility um uh, the, 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 the which the, the, the was it's a very tonally demanding game and and it, um, you know the conversations that you'd have with a lot of the characters would would pivot wildly from like being really lighthearted and, and comic and funny all the way through to being like okay suddenly we're talking about kidnapped children and it's like ooh um, you know and the orchestra you can do that so fluidly with with an organic you know entity such as an orchestra which is a, a really I think something that a lot of people maybe overlook uh, and consider the orchestra to be this kind of dated sound, you know, or something new and things like that. Well, well, if you want your narrative to come across properly, then you need something that's, uh, you know, robust enough narratively to kind of fulfill that gap. And for, for Beyond the Sky, it just worked that we could, you know, go all the way from the most ludicrous, like, uh, situations you might find yourself in, Foster might find himself in, all the way through to the darkest kind of subject matter that, that is at the heart of the kind of narrative. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, deciding to go with like a, a real orchestra, um, do it as best we could with the with the budget that we had um, was was uh, it took a bit of convincing, but they, we we got there. I remember like um, researching a little bit about Beyond a Steel Sky mm. uh, with the task you gave. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember. It, I was like, oh, it's a, it's um, it's like it's from beneath a steel sky. So I yeah. went researching it, and it was like, oh gosh, it's so old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But and you, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a it's such a. I mean, Revolution Games themselves are have such again like a heritage. They have such a um, prestigious um, heritage in the world of um, adventure gaming, especially sort of what we would consider to be retro uh, adventure games now. So you know, Broken Sword uh, is, is this is is um, this phenomenal franchise of, of games that you know was really you know leading industry leading at, at the time it came out. Um, and Charles uh, Charles Cecil, the director um, and the uh, the director of um, um, Revolution, is you know is a really uh, well renowned video game designer and writes these phenomenal adventure games, um, and is is a really lovely man as well, which really always helps. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah the first one long time ago. <laughs> yeah, about that one actually. Um, so well, the music definitely so different, and for Beyond a Steel Sky, it was mostly orchestral. So. Yeah. Could you tell us about the choice of like why is it orchestral? Why not like maybe just more synthetic instruments? Mm. Because it's like kind of a post cyberpunky world, a lot of technology kind of thing. 
Yes, uh, well, cyberpunk. You've, hit, you've, you've, you've said that word. Uh, Oops. Uh, yeah, so, no, no, it's fine. It's like it's the, it's cyberpunk and um, steampunk, uh, and uh, they've just become they've become these words that just don't mean anything. You know, they, they um, you know, because you've got a cyberpunk setting for your game. Suddenly, we need a cyberpunk score. It's like, uh, well, what does that mean? What does, what does that really mean? Um, and uh, that, that felt, again, I think I touched on it earlier, I felt like, you know, a more synthetic uh, route wouldn't, wasn't going to give us the breadth that this story was, you know, demanding, really, and, and the narrative, the way that they were telling the story. Um, it, it just needed, it needed um, something that you can just, like, pivot really quickly from one thing into another um, and be very harmonically fluid and, uh, and uh, texturally diverse as well. Um, and you know, I'm I'm I like orchestras. I'm I, I've, my my background <laughs> is in orchestral writing, so it kind of suited me to kind of pursue that um, that kind of route as well. Um, and it was something where the music could really really add and like elevate the experience of the game um, um, if we if we did it right. And uh, and that was the thing. It's like if if it was a sampled orchestra, uh, well, it's just going to sound a little bit compromised in that case. Um, you know, uh, if it's a synthetic score, is it really right? Is the narrative being surfaced properly? So if you if you take all the logical kind of like objective routes, you know, um, without doing too many uh, psychological gymnastics, you, you can get to you know the orchestra is is the right thing. And, you know, and it and it will it works. At the end of the day, you put it up against it. It it blends into the atmosphere. It blends into the ambience. It blend, blends into Union City. It allowed us to have these big melodic things. And I, I wrote a lot of uh, sort of. Uh, light motifs for the uh, for, for various characters um it kind of allowed for that to be done reasonably fluidly and and reasonably like um foreground as well the music was able to come to the foreground and be a be a, a front runner in the the way that we talk of the story which i think was re- is really important it's, it's so nice for adventure games to kind of be able to explore that um and and add to and add more than is just the surface level as well you know cyberpunk if i if i if i had gone down that route i mean I'm sure it, it it would have um worked it would have been different um but how well could you have, have presented what's beyond the forget the pun beyond the surface <laughs> of, of, of what you're seeing you know, uh, you know union city is this uh, kind of crazy upturned city where all of the luxury stuff is down at the bottom and then you, as you build up you get more towards the industrial levels you know i, I thought about these industrial levels they're 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 a remnant of like a uh, time gone by they're they're kind of like this um um yeah, this 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 left behind uh, downtrodden um, uh, area that that is is reminiscent of uh, you know beneath the steel sky as well. So for me, that had a, almost like a sort of nostalgic, romantic feeling. Uh, it wasn't just threatening, dirty, grungy, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So exploring that slightly, you know, what can the music add that isn't visible or isn't present in the in the in the in the, the game design in the environment design in the artwork you know what else can the music do to heighten this experience and to add those layers of depth to the narrative which was, was a really important thing for me for beyond still sky because i think certainly with indie games um you can often the music can be can be somewhat surface level and i think um trying to get away from that or, or avoid that trap was a, was a big part of like choosing the orchestra there's one question I wanted to ask you about um, your music department work. Um, Luke and I, we do quite a bit of orchestration for other composers and one of the people we look up to because he's obviously one of the best 
uh, in the business right now is, is Nicholas Dodd. And um, you got to work with him um, on some projects. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what your work entailed and, and what you learned by, by, by doing that. Mm. Yes, uh, I've been good friends with Nicholas for for a long time since I, since I was at uni. Um, we first worked together on a, on a on a film project called Mowgli, which was like, again a, a quite a formative experience for me because it was like the first big project I'd done, first time I'd seen like um, a top level professional do what he does best, uh, and uh, and then going to the sessions and seeing a hundred piece orchestra perform this music um, was just like. Uh, you know, if if you if you have a shot on inspiration, I mean, that's the way to get someone like absolutely committed to doing music for the rest of their life. Um, but yeah, so on that project, I was just I was doing I was I was demoing his orchestrations. So the the process was I would um, uh, he would orchestrate he would send me the score. I would then demo up. I would program up a demo uh, of of his orchestration that would then go and get uh, you know client approved, uh, and then I would then um, take the uh, if there were any revisions or anything, I would then take that score, you know, and then, you know, I'd prepare that for the session. I would actually do the, you know, the Sibelius formatting, uh, Nicholas Works and Staff Pad. So I, I moved uh, all of that stuff across oh, into does. Sibelius. Yes, yes. Um, it, it's it's challenging working with, uh, with, that, <laughs> with, that, with that. I believe that. I, 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 tr I tried it out, Staff yeah. Pad. It's 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 an interesting software. <laughs> it is, it is, and it's and it's great. It, it's it's brilliant. But I think when you need to deliver a huge amount of music, um, that all has to be very consistent, and uh, you know, you need to a lot of engraving control. Uh, I think that's mm. Starpad is perhaps a little lacking in that area. Because I'm a no, Sibelius boy. It's for 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 inputting, it's nice. But, yeah, yeah. For inputting, and especially for for someone who's grown up with paper like like Nicholas, um, it, you know, works perfectly for him. Uh, but. Uh, Yes, no, I'm, I'm a Sibelius person, so I, you know, I've designed lots of, and it, you know, it was great because I could then really dive into my Sibelius workflow and and do all of the things to fix up Sibelius in, in ways that it, you know, in um, in the ways that Sibelius isn't so great. So, um, yeah, so I, I did that, and that was a, you know a really good you know, start to like, okay, this is what being a professional orchestrator looks like. This is what being a professional um, in the music world, you know, in, in entertainment actually involves and the kind of speed of turnaround, the quality that people are asking, it's all super important. Um, and then, yeah, continuing to work, you know, I, I've, I've, I've since done sort of orchestration for him as well. And I orchestrated some stuff on, you know, Catherine Jenkins album for him. And then I also orchestrated uh, a two, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I co-orchestrated uh, um, all the old knives. Um, um, I think, what it's called, um, uh, which was a, a film uh, with music by uh, John Ekstrand, which was great. I did a lot of sort of aleatoric stuff, uh, not aleatoric, like effecty kind of uh, work on that. So loads of harmonics, um, a lot of transcription um, in that in that one as well. Um, but yeah, Nicholas uh, Nicholas conducted uh, for me on Beyond Steel Sky, which was you know an absolute dream come true for, to get him out to um, uh, to come and conduct my, my my music, which was just like absolutely like right. crazy. Um, and I always send stuff to him every now and again just to get him to like check over things and be like, oh, I'm in a pickle. You know, how how possible is this? Or, you know, I want to try and do this thing in this time signature. What do you, what do you recommend? You know, he's got however many probably years of, of you know, if you added up all the hours that he's done in, in, in recording sessions, he probably gets to the, the years <laughs> that he's uh, spent on the podium. Um uh so yeah yeah no he's 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 brilliant he's been so supportive for me as well um and um 
Um, I'm his kind of like a uh, tech guy as well. Whenever he needs uh, tech support, so he's a bit of a he's a bit of a technophobe. Uh, you know, he's a pen and paper guy at heart. So he's uh, uh, whenever he needs help with um with as I say like any of the software or technology or anything bits, I'm I'm uh, I'm generally the person who's helping him out. Um, and then yeah, a bit of the creative stuff when uh, when I can. That's cool. Amazing. Thanks for sharing this. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, uh, I'll ask a kind of offshoot question it's fitting that we've got the two people that work as orchestrators asking you the orchestration questions but one thing that i noticed getting into orchestration more and more professionally is that it really affects my brain when i compose in a different way i mean i was always kind of thinking about orchestration when i was composing but i think you're almost like thinking some steps ahead once you know kind of you're that familiar with the final product and, you know, live players and all that. And I think especially given that a lot of the projects you work on have smaller ensembles or budgets that are a factor that you need to get the most out of, how does your orchestration experience inform that? Good question. Um, I So for me, when I write, everything is orchestrated at the point of composition. I don't, I don't like write with big ensemble pads and then I'll orchestrate it later. Everything is like the voicing is all there. All of the, um, uh, yeah, all the voicings, all of the lines, all of the instrumentation is all, it's all considered right from the writing point. So uh, when it gets to orchestration, it means that that process can be very quick and fluid for me uh, because it's essentially a, sort of a copying job at that point. You know, I'm just moving things up. I'm adding dynamics. I'm adding um, all of those, those things that don't come out of, you know, um, uh, a door. Um but yeah, so so it's they're, they're one and the same. Composing and, and orchestration, an orchestration is an, is a part of writing music, and if if you neglect that, then you're going to write, you know, poorly orchestrated music, uh, <laughs> or you know, or it's, there's going to be a compromise somewhere. You know, for for me, it's certainly you know, if I'm orchestrating my own music, that's a I've been I'm lucky in a, in a sense that I I have the opportunity to kind of do that. I mean, it's not good for my social life. Uh, let's put it that <laughs> way. But it's uh, it's uh, it's good for my uh, my I guess like. Uh, I think it's good for my music, you know, and that's and that's definitely something when I'm considered. But also, you know, you need to know when to turn that off as well. If you're not going to get an orchestra, there's no reason why you can't have 10 cello patches going, you know. Yeah. If it sounds good, it sounds good. That's the other thing. And that's the thing about another important thing about orchestration that perhaps works the other way around, going from a virtual environment to orchestration. It sounds good. So how do you make it sound good? It doesn't matter if it sounds proper. You know, like being purist doesn't really help you. It's like... Oh, it sounds, you know, it sounds, it's orchestrated correctly, but it sounds worse than the, than the, than the demo. It's like, that does, that, you can't get, that doesn't work either, you know. Uh, so knowing when to um, take an extra step and kind of like achieve, try and achieve something that maybe wouldn't be traditionally what you might do um, because of something you were able to get in a digital environment is also really important. Um, uh uh, but also, obviously, knowing the the instruments and things like that, and not writing stuff that's just hard. I'm, I don't, yeah, I don't so mean like you know writing stuff that's like impossible to play um, or, or just high, just wildly unidiomatic. That's not helpful for anyone. But there are things that, like as I say, like instrumentation choices. Like you often get told, like you know, these big, low, dense voicings uh, in the lower registers are kind of things to try and avoid. Um, and I, I love just like. No, screw that. You know why? Uh, it sounds. It sound, if I can make it sound good, and I, then I can take that into a session and work with the players to make sure. You know, and maybe it is. We do need to spend an extra ten minutes making sure the intonation is just right between that. You know, that open fifth down at the bottom, um, or you know, we need to slot the. It's it's a balancing act between a melody that is. You know, a melody right down in the lower register of the cello. You know, um, 
Uh, so we'll see. It's it's a, it's a it's a wonderfully expressive area of the instrument, and it has a very different tone of, of legato because of the, the 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 distance between the notes. So you know, why would I not try and explore that or exploit that? You know, just because the 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 orchestration books say don't write you know um, triads down at the bottom of the register. Why you know why why not? Uh, and you know, don't write for brass under dialogue. Why why not? You know. Um, <laughs> So it's it's about knowing where to kind of like push and pull that those two halves of my brain, but it's really just one part of my brain that just kind of is fighting with itself. Yeah, exactly. Well, one interesting thing you said, sorry, just really quickly, that I, I've kind of noticed is that you mentioned closer voicings and lower registers. I actually find with like smaller ensembles sometimes that can give you like a thickness because then you have like the overtone stacking more and stuff mm. that can actually work to your effect of like there's this line between like muddiness and thickness that you can kind of exploit yeah yeah absolutely um it's, 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 uh, you, you touched on an interesting point there with, with regards to like the harmonics and the, the natural harmonics you get out of a real recording versus with samples which don't generate those they're not present in a room so therefore they're not generating the high harmonics there's a, that's a big part of the scale of the sound you know there's so much of the reality the realness and the life comes from the way that those harmonics interact with each other in the, in the, in the upper registers and you know interesting thing that I learned the other day from the, the uh, head of audio here at Pitstop um, when you compress things to uh, we use Vorbis um, in uh, in Wise, uh, but but if it was MP3 or you know, um, if you've got all that information up there and all of those lovely harmonics and they're all there, it compresses better than samples. So li- quite literally, oh. recordings Ooh. compress better than samples. So if anyone ever needs a, a good justification for getting a real player in, is it will compress better when you compress it down. It'll sound better. <laughs> uh, oh wow, very uh, cool. That's <laughs> pretty cool. Um, yes, yeah. I mean. There's all sorts of things to consider, and I, and I and I've made more mistakes orchestrating than I think most people probably have, but just because I've had you know more opportunity to do it, and that's the only reason that I've been able to like know like you, you get to learn your boundaries of the things yeah. that work really well and things that don't, and so uh, it's how you get better. You gotta make mistakes. Absolutely, yeah. Professionals have yeah. made um, have made more mistakes than people uh, who uh, you know uh, uh, semi professionals who who have tried. You know, that's that's always the saying. I'm pretty sure I told you <laughs> that, but you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, speaking of which, just a quick question: Do you are there any circumstances, or do you often double um, sample elements and live elements? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. or, or um, do you get more live increasingly as you? progress into this. Uh, yeah i mean it's it, it, that that again very much depends on the situation um beyond a still sky we did a, a fair bit of that because we wanted a big symphonic sound for a lot of the time and then we we just didn't have the facility to do that because it was covid um so we, there was a lot of like blending a smaller live section with a, a big sample ensemble um horizon we did it sometimes for specific things um, and look, the reality is that sometimes you don't get a performance that you, you want. Sometimes it's a horrible feeling, but when you open up the Pro Tools session, when you go back to the studio and you're looking through your takes <laughs> and you just think, oh, that's just not one that's just perfect. Or, or it was even worse. I've got one that's in time and one that's in tune. Oh, no. so annoying. <laughs> one that, yeah, that's yeah. so annoying because you can't edit those together. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, uh, and, and at that point, you do, you maybe, you know, flying a sample in maybe fixes that. If it works for the queue, who fucking cares? You know, <laughs> that's that's always my my thing. It's like there's no there's no rewards, there's no um, accolades for not cheating, um, and and I, I I defy you to to to, to hear that. I mean, if you're obviously using samples, you know, and there are soundtracks. I won't, there's a particular very large game. 
that uh, that I was listening to the score to the other day, where it sounds like they've recorded a real orchestra and then mixed the samples in louder than the orchestra. Um, Sounds terrible. Why would you do that? I don't know why. Uh, but I would always, uh, you know, blending samples is a reality of what what modern production looks like. Um, and there are things that we need to, that we don't have uh, in the room with us, you know, uh, extended percussion, things like that, that need to blend with the orchestra that we just have, we just don't have a choice just because of budgetary reasons and time and all that sort of stuff and flexibility. Um, so, um, yeah, I do mix samples, um, but uh, I'll defy you to tell me where I do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious That's... what game it is. <laughs> that has some weird stuff. Now I'm curious to what game you meant. I, I have some suspicions. <laughs> We've talked about it. Um yeah. Ali, that that was a that was such an amazing chat. Um so much detail um about all the technical like going into like individual sections and you know, just sharing with us um your your sort of trade secrets and <laughs> and your worlds and your passions and inspirations no, as well um it was it was absolutely amazing um i just love to just before we end i love to touch on um the game miasma did i pronounce that right yeah, this time miasma Chronicles. Uh, yeah but it looks kind of apocalyptic and 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 stuff so could you tell us more about that yeah yeah it's a it's a it was a really interesting project uh following on from um uh, corruption which i was the same developer um same system it's a turn-based tactics game uh which presents a whole host of uh behavior like questions about how you want the music to behave um we were working with uh, robert lundgren um who's an also phenomenal composer um and and music designer for for and a music programmer for for this project as well you, again utilizing utilizing the um the elias um interactive music system uh, which meant that everything was extremely granular um at the point of of um implementation uh, which was really fascinating and really interesting to do quite frustrating at some points because we had to do a lot of time exporting and, and processing and you know um and uh yeah so we, we, there were you know there were four composers working on that one so it was myself uh, frankie uh, my co-composer and then uh, aiden who's um uh, joined the team here um at pit stop um and uh yeah and then robert um so lots of lots of hands lots of music um uh, an interesting palette as well, you know, uh, very broad, again, s synthetic kind of dystopian palette that we, we really kind of took advantage of, but, but still with a, a thematic edge to it as well. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was an interesting project. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's yeah. about all I can probably say, <laughs> say about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And what are you working on at the minute? I can't in... say. Oh, NDA, okay. NDA. okay. But like, uh, you know, uh, if things have been announced, maybe if we'd done this chat uh, in a few months' time after Gamescom, I could maybe talk about them. But um, uh, yeah, I can't. Um, unfortunately, I can't. I can't say anything. Like, that's the thing about the games industry is every, everyone keeps things super tight. And if I will get in a lot of trouble if I start talking yeah. about yeah. stuff that's not even announced yet. But um, yeah, there are a few things in the works. There are a few things in the works uh, that I'm, I'm working on. Um, uh, but yeah yeah definitely don't don't be present to but i'll be keeping my eye out <laughs> for the stuff that comes out and then um, you can get more video games it's a good excuse to get you more video games darren exactly well <laughs> increasingly uh, and you get to so buy video games on and get them as expenses as well you know tax free <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the thing working or in video games is you get to buy all your consoles and your video games they're part of your expenses <laughs> good point <laughs> research <laughs> exactly. Give <laughs> me a PS5 or maybe like a new.
us on Instagram and TikTok at Composers in a Jukebox. We've got a lot more interesting episodes cooking in the edit, which we can't wait to share. Subscribe to our pages on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts to be notified on our future episodes. Thank you so much. Bye!